I want to share a couple of things with you this evening in our Sunday afternoon service and that mean a lot to me. My dad uh, died about three years ago. And I had a good dad. Sean got up this morning and talked about he appreciated his dad. And a good influence in his life. I felt that way. I had a good dad. Wasn't a perfect man, but he's a good dad. There may be some I'm talking to the audience today that didn't have a dad in their home in that way or maybe didn't have a good relationship with the dad or whatever. And I really hate it in that sense. And maybe there's some other men that could rise up in those kind of situations and be the kind of influence and the kind of men that they need to be uh, an influence to some young men and, and maybe some young ladies that they need to be as well. But I want to tell you... My dad uh, passed away, and I miss my dad. I drive down the road now and pass the place that he used to live at. and uh, uh, I drive into my driveway at times. And I think about, I'd like to call dad, talk to him. Maybe nothing specific, but just this happened. I used to share a lot of stuff with my dad, but he's not there. But I got to thinking about some lessons I learned from my dad. And at the end of the story, they're really Bible lessons at the end of the day. And, but I want to share with you some of the stories, lessons that I learned from my father. I'm not trying to ignore the ladies in the sermon, but it's not Mother's Day today. So y'all can relax. We're not going to talk about you. But I'm going to talk about dads a little bit. You know, one of the lessons my dad taught me in life was the importance of hard work. That you get up every day and you make a day happen. My dad understood that. My dad got up at 4.35 o'clock every morning. Now, the culture down there is a little different, maybe the culture of West Texas in some ways, but my dad punched a clock at a chemical plant every day for 36, 37 years and retired from the company he started working for when he was 19 years old or 18 years old. He retired from that company. And... Every day went to work. He was, he was an employee of a company, and he honored that, and, and he was faithful to that. And if, he showed up for work. We grew up as kids, and my dad, we poured concrete and, and made sidewalks and poured foundations for barns and stuff. We, we had 30 acres kind of out in the country from where we lived in Houston, so we were weekend farmers. And my dad had some cows. We leased another 50 acres. My dad, my dad loved to go look, out, look at cows. I never understood that as a kid, you know. Because I was a city kid growing up, and we would go out in the pickup and just look at cows. Now, you guys understand that. You understand what you're doing. As a kid, I didn't understand a thing. It just seemed like we were swatting gnats out there in the middle of a hot pickup. I didn't understand the reason for it. But, and my dad was raising four boys. And with four boys, I'm sure he was trying to keep them busy and trying to utilize some energy and some things like that. But it always seemed like we were moving hay from one barn to another barn. I never understood. It seemed like we never got it fed to the cows, but we were constantly in a hot barn moving hay. Uh, my dad planted potatoes one time. I'll tell you more about that story as the week goes on. But my, my dad planted 50 pounds of potatoes. And I'm sure my dad was the one on the tractor. The boys, you know, at harvest time, the boys were behind the tractor picking up potatoes when he was plowing up potatoes. And so he kept it. My dad understood the importance of hard work, making a day happen and accomplishing things. And it's good for you. In fact, some of the psychological problems that people 
have today, I'm not saying all of them, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist here, not trying to diagnose anyone, just saying a lot of the problems people have today is because they don't go to bed tired. They don't go to bed and sleep a full night. And they stay awake all night long because they're worried about today's problems or whatever, or tomorrow's problems or the next day's problems. My dad did, was very good at handling the mental health part of that. He would wear you out during the day and you could sleep good at night and you could get up and do it again tomorrow. My dad understood and, and when you're tired you sleep better. When you sleep better you feel better the next day. There's just a lot of things that were included in the, my dad's wisdom about that. But I'm telling you my dad taught me the lesson how to get up and work and the importance of work. And it doesn't matter tonight if you're a man or if you're a woman or whatever. We raised four daughters. Lisa and I raised four daughters. Our message to our four daughters was the same message that my dad gave his four sons. And that is no one, no one lays around with nothing to do. Your mom, in this case Lisa, was a stay-at-home mom for 28 years. She now drives a school bus. She provides health insurance for our family is what she's doing. But she was a stay-at-home mom for 28 years. And she loved being a stay-at-home mom. I loved the fact that she was a stay-at-home mom. I loved the fact that she traveled with me on preaching and that kind of thing. But our girls got up to 16 years old or whatever, and one of the things we told them is, you're going to get a job. Nobody's born into royalty. You know, when you're 18, now we understand at 16 you're still going to school and you're going to have to work part-time and that kind of thing. 18, you either get a job or you go to college or you do both. And all of our girls worked all the way through college. They got out of college and, and they went to work and those kind of things. But the story we gave our four daughters was, your mom's a stay-at-home mom, but that doesn't mean not work. I don't know who ever put that definition on a stay-at-home mom. It's so far from the truth. Mom works all day long. She gets up every morning. She works all day. She works through the evening to try to make life happen for you. No one in this family, no one in this family has the right to lay around and do nothing all day long. I'm not talking about a vacation time. I'm not talking about taking a day off from time to time when it's needed. I'm just saying on a day-to-day -day basis, we're not going to raise couch potatoes that just sit around and watch TV all day long. Good hard work is good for you. My dad taught me that lesson. I'm thankful that my dad taught me that lesson. Proverbs 24, what he taught me was the Bible. Proverbs 24 says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. You know what that passage says? If you're lazy, you're void of understanding. That's what that passage says. You don't understand life if you're lazy. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it, received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Poverty, uh, you're going to be poor if you can't get up and go to work in the morning. It doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, child, whatever. Everybody's got a job to do. You youngsters, when you're going to school, you've got a job to do. That's your job. Now, you're not getting paid for it, but you're getting paid for it with an education. Our, our society provides free education that costs your parents and your grandparents or whatever, your aunts and your uncles. They're paying for an education. Learn everything they can possibly teach you that's good. Learn it 
receive the instruction. It's free at that stage of the game, but you've got a job to do. It's called, I'm going to class today. I'm going to learn everything I can learn. I'm going to open my books. They're going to teach me math and writing and history and all that. Learn everything you can learn. Because if you lay around in bed all day long, you're going to end up in poverty. That's what that verse teaches. A lazy person at the end of the day is void of understanding. That's what that verse taught. My dad taught me that lesson as well. But he got it from the Bible. Because he lived by those principles of Scripture. Another lesson my dad taught me was to be at church. I'm telling you honestly... Not one time ever in my growing up years, not one time ever in my growing up years did we, on a Wednesday night, look at each other across the dinner table and go, are we going to church tonight? There was no question about whether we were going to church. If the church had services, we were going to be there. My dad was kind of one of those, you're there 30 minutes early or you're late type people. You know, I'm not saying you have to live that way. I'm sure it helps the church if you'll get here in time, we, we try to line up services at home. Sometimes it's hard to do if people all walk in. And, you know, there's a congestion at the parking lot at 1030. You know, it's hard to get stuff lined up in time to get started on time. So I'm sure it would help to get there a little on the early side. But I'm telling you, my dad, not one time ever do I remember my dad ever, ever just laying out and saying, eh, I'm just not in the mood to go to church tonight. It just didn't happen in our home. He taught me the importance of that. And I know you're thinking right now, he's fixing to use Hebrews 10 and verse number 25 that says, Not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as men or some it is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. But I'm not going to use that verse. What I'm going to use is this one. Romans 12 and 20. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. You know what that verse says? That means I would prefer being with my brothers and sisters in Christ than anywhere else on the earth. That's what I would prefer. And that's the kind of heart my dad had that kind of heart. He'd rather be at church than anywhere. And he taught it to us as we were growing up. Number three, loyalty. My dad taught me loyalty. My dad was very loyal. If my dad ever told you anything, made a promise to you, my dad was loyal to the promise that he made. Now, I will tell you, my mom and dad went through a divorce. And they went through a divorce after Lisa and I were married, after we had children. And most painful thing ever to go through in life, even from a kid's standpoint or whatever, it's horrendous. It's not, not recommending it to anybody, anytime, anywhere. It's horrendous. It's not fun to go through. But my dad went through a divorce. But I just want to tell you, it wasn't my dad's lack of loyalty my dad was very loyal to the vows that he made and committed, and committed to those vows. He committed himself to those vows. Now, I'm not here to confess other people's sins. That's not the intent of the sermon. But I'm telling you, there was pain in that family, but it wasn't because of my dad's lack of loyalty. My dad was very loyal to what it was he told. And let me tell you a little bit. I'll tell you one story that I remember about my dad is my dad taught me never borrow anything from anyone. Now, I've done it. I didn't always listen to that advice. But, but I found out my dad was right because, you know, if I'd, I'd go borrow a hoe, you know, or a rake or a shovel or something like that. Let's say it's a shovel. Go borrow a shovel. You're borrowing somebody's old shovel. Guess what happens to that shovel? You gentlemen know. You break the handle on that shovel. Then what do you do? You go buy two shovels. 
and now the brand new shovel goes back to the person you borrowed from and you get a brand new shovel finally that you really should have just gone to buy to begin with and then you'd only had to buy one shovel. That was my dad and let me tell you, my dad lived it. I mean really truly lived it. My dad borrowed a uh, wood splitter from a guy, motorized hydraulic wood splitter and it was old, it was ancient, it was wore out and he borrowed it from another member of the church and he fired that thing up and he used it for about 15 minutes and the motor blew on that log splitter. Of course, the other brother in Christ knew it was old equipment and all that and, my, and he said, don't worry about it. You know, stuff happens. It's just all part of it. It's an old log splitter. You don't have to worry about it. My dad put a new motor on that before he took it back to that brother. That's my dad. I mean, my dad's very loyal to what he says. If I'm going to borrow something, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be faithful to what it is that I commit to. Now, this passage comes out of the ESV. I'm not necessarily a huge ESV fan, but there's a reason why I used it, and it's the word loyal that's right here. But also he removed Mekah and the mother of Asa the king from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and, crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Loyal to God. Loyal all his days. Loyal. I'm not getting into politics, but years ago, some of you are old enough to remember this, but President H.W. Bush, uh, Herbert Walker Bush, George Herschel, Wal Herschel Walker, George Herbert Walker Bush, George H.W., the older dad George, George Bush that we had for a president, he had just come into the presidency of the United States behind Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had served eight years and his vice president George H.W. became president. Now the press was really giving George H.W. a tough time back in those days, not that that hadn't changed much you know in our politics today or whatever, but the press was giving, a, uh, giving him a hard time and, and for eight years he was a solid vice president. I mean he just would, if Reagan said something he was, he was on Reagan's team. He was a vice president to Ronald Reagan. Well anyway they were giving him a hard time about something. I don't even remember what the subject was about. But they asked George H.W. about it. Why did you stand with President Reagan on this deal or whatever? It could have been the Iran-Contra scandal or something. And here's the quote from George H.W. Bush that has stuck with me all these years. He said, I didn't realize loyalty was a character flaw. I love that line. Didn't realize loyalty was a character flaw. You know, I've seen some things in the church at times where people didn't do what they should have done. And in some cases, I love these people. I, I'm not, I guess in all these cases, I love them. But, but maybe I even tried to promote them or cared for them or tried to encourage them, wanted them to preach, wanted them to lead singing, wanted them to whatever the, the thing was. And they really broke your heart. They really let you down. They really, they, they didn't live by those same standards or whatever. I'm telling you, though, loyalty is not a character flaw. You being loyal to somebody is not a character flaw. My dad made commitments to his wife, not a character flaw. My, make, my dad made commitments to the church, not a character flaw. And because someone else is not loyal, because someone else is, is uh, violated trust and commitment, all those kind of things, does not mean we should not have loyalty. We need to be loyal. We need to be the kind of people God can depend on. Integrity. 
that's the type of dad I think I've described to you already, has integrity. He says what he means, means what he says type thing. Look at this passage in Proverbs 19.1. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. You know, you could go around all day long and look great, but be lying about everything that you do. This verse says you're better off being in poverty and have your integrity than it is to try to look like you're something else, but at the end of the day, you're a fool in that process. Integrity. My dad taught me how to have integrity and what integrity looked like. He demonstrated it for us in our home. Proverbs 20, verse number 7, the just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. That's me in that verse. I was blessed because I had a dad that had integrity. Another principle I want to share with you my dad taught me was that there's a time to keep quiet. It's probably a lesson I probably should have taken more of at times. But my dad showed me, demonstrated for me that there's a time to keep quiet. Now, my dad had one of those booming, boisterous bass voices that when he walked in the room, you knew he was there. I mean, it rumbled. It was, it was just a full bass voice. I love singing bass and all that, but I don't have the bass voice my dad. I mean, it was a wah, you know, kind of deal. You sat on the pew, and the pew shook around you. It was a rumbling bass voice. When he talked, pe people could hear him. I spent my entire childhood with my dad, even at a restaurant, going, shh. We're not trying to talk to a restaurant and kind of deal. But we had a challenge one time years ago at College Park. And we had a guy in the congregation. I'm just going to demonstrate the circumstances to you. It was chaotic. It was the biggest tornado that ever came through our congregation to try to leave destruction behind, if I could describe it that way. I mean, I've never seen another family like this or another man like this. This man has since died. And I'll give you kind of an idea. He died on the back of a motorcycle with his girlfriend on the back of the motorcycle who was not his wife and his wife, but he was still married to his wife. That kind of chaos, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm t just telling you, it was a tornado came through our congregation. You're not going to know all the circumstances of this story, but I'm going to relay part of it and move the story along. I'm on the phone with him one day, and I said, or he told me, I am going to open a can of worms in this congregation that you cannot begin to close. That's what he said to me. And I said to him on the phone, you open whatever can of worms you feel like you need to open, but I have confidence in our congregation that we will do what's right. And that's what we're going to do. Long story, I know you don't know all the circumstances to it, I'm just telling you that was what was said. That evening, that evening, my dad, and that through the day, that guy tried to open a can of worms. He called everybody in the congregation, ties this, ties that, ties, you know, just trying to stir up as much stuff as he could stir up. And he called a sister-in-law of mine, and she was going, oh, no, you know, somebody's upset, and, you know, and all those kind of things. She talked to her husband, and her husband said, we know Ty, and we know him, we probably ought to talk to Ty and get the other side of that story. Very wise in that judgment but he tried to call my dad that day which is kind of interesting now my dad never called me never came to me never 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 ever told me this story 
But that evening I was in the room with that man that caused the tornado. And he said, I called your dad today. And I said, you did? I said, what did my dad say? And he said, if you've got a problem with Ty, you need to talk to Ty. And I go, that's my dad. <laughs> my dad didn't go around talking to everybody. My dad didn't get on the phone and tell everybody about it. My dad didn't even come to me and talk to me about it. I can tell you what my dad did is he used Matthew 18 and said, what you need to do is you need to call the brother that you've got a problem with if that's the problem. And the problem stops right there on my dad's front lawn. My dad's not engaged in it. He's not a part of it. He's not caught up in the gossip of it or whatever. You got a problem? Talk to the person you got the problem with. That's my dad. He taught me there's a time to keep quiet. And I will tell you as a congregation, there were times even in that episode when that guy, I'm using the proverbial tornado through the congregation type thing. I am telling you, as elders in the congregation, it was tough times for us as a congregation. But there were people in our congregation that were holding steady in the midst of all of the chaos. They held steady. They held strong. They held in their integrity. And you knew they were supporting you and praying for you, etc. They knew we were going through a bad time. They knew it wasn't fun. And they were supportive and helpful of our elders at the time in the congregation. My dad was one of those older men that knew... How to, he knew when to talk, and he knew when not to talk. And that's a lesson that's an important lesson. The Bible teaches that, James 1 and 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Maybe we need to be willing to listen, but we better be slow to speak in that case. Let me give you another lesson my dad taught me, that life doesn't always go your way. You know, I told you the story about my parents going through a divorce after Lisa and I had married and we had kids and that time frame, kind of the late 80s when they went through that, up, upwards to the early 90s. It's horrendous time. I'm telling you honestly, there's some years in there that are a haze to me that, that I know my brain was focused on what was happening as a challenge in our family. It wasn't... I, I don't even remember being in the room of certain things that took place. Some of the early, we were, Lisa and I were having kids during those years. I'm telling you, there's just things I don't even remember about some of those years because of some of the challenges. It was not fun to go through type challenges. So I've already told you about that. So my dad figured out life doesn't always go your way. And you can even walk in your integrity and you can be the kind of person that you ought to be. And life doesn't always go your way. Other people can make decisions too. Sometimes those decisions are very disappointing to you. But I'll tell you another one that my dad taught me is, my dad retired, I told you he worked at that plant for all those years. My dad retired right around the year 2000. And I don't know the exact numbers, but let me give you some, I'm just going to make up numbers and you'll get the idea of what happened. He retired in 2000, and he was planning on traveling, taking his retirement. He worked for this company for years. They gave him a package to kind of early out, so he kind of even pre-65 got out. And whatever that package was, and let's say for a moment it's half a million dollars, whatever, you know, 500 grand. He's going to go travel and visit meetings and all that kind of stuff. Well, September 11th of 2001 happened. Y'all remember that taking place? The towers went down. Y'all know what, y'all remember what, I'm asking rhetorical questions, but y'all remember what happened to the stock market when all that happened? Those were rough times for stockbrokers. Those, those were rough times for money in, in stock accounts. Well, let's say hypothetically, my dad's 500,000 went down to 250,000 and he was living off of it. So he was pulling 50 grand a year 
out of those things, expecting to make 50 grand a year off of 500,000. He's just living off. So now he's down to 200,000. The next year he's down to 150. And the next year he's down to 100. And it wasn't long he's out of money. My dad went back to work. And he went back to work years later when he ran out of money. And I saw my dad in the living room just crying because life didn't plan out, pan out or plan out the way that he had planned it to be. I'm not saying he made all the right decisions in there because honestly, looking back on it, it's easy to look back on stuff and hindsight's 2020 type thing. What he should have done immediately when the stock market went down and crashed him out, what he should have done was stop drawing off of it and he should have gone back to work right then and he could have worked for a couple of years given the, the stock's time to bounce back and that kind of thing and he'd have been all right. But he didn't. He kept drawing off of it till he ran out of money. And then he went back to work. And he worked again at a funeral home the last 10 years of his life and, and worked every day, 40 hours a week. Worked. Life didn't work out the way he planned it. He wasn't traveling and going and seeing the world and, and all that kind of stuff because he had run out of money in that process. I'm not, I'm not downing him. I'm just saying life happens, guys. Life doesn't always have to work out the way that we plan life to work out. But my dad taught me that sometimes things don't work the way you plan them. Hebrews 5, verse number 8. You know, the same thing happened in some ways. If y'all give me a little bit of liberty here. Hebrews 5, verse number 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Didn't work out the way Jesus wanted them to work out. Three times in the garden he prayed, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. He was willing to go to the cross to die for our redemption. But wanting in the flesh to go to the cross, he didn't do that. This verse has some depth to it. Spend some time thinking about Jesus learning obedience by suffering. He went through suffering to learn obedience to his father. Amazing concept. Life didn't go the way we, you know, didn't work out the way we had intended for it to do. But I'll tell you another lesson my dad taught me is you get back up and you keep going. I saw my dad go through a divorce. And I saw my dad get back up, and he kept walking. And he, got, he put one foot in front of another the next day, and one foot in front of another the next day. And over time, that burden got better. I saw him collapse financially, if the proverbial financial collapse concept. But you know what he did? He went and got a job, and he went to work every day, and he came home every day. He kept going. And you know what he did not do? He didn't lay there in bed and he didn't say, oh, God's punishing me and oh, life's not worth living. And he didn't do any of that. He realized he had a problem and I've got to get up and I've got to keep moving and I've got to, keep, I've got to make things different. I've got to, I'm going to have to go to work. I'm going to have to accomplish. And he did all of those things. There's a Bible story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 20 about David and his son. His son was sick unto death and David basically sat in sackcloth and ashes and laid prostrate on the floor and praying to God that his son would be healed. And his son died. And he got up, pick up the story, 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he, uh, then he came to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him. And he did eat and his... His servant said, why are, you, why are you up and around now? He said, because my son was dead. 
He's died now before I was mourning for it, before I was praying for him, but now he's dead. He's not going to come back to me. I have to go to him. My dad recognized the fact that when life doesn't turn out the way that you want to turn it out or that you want it to turn out, I'm going to... I'm going to take the best I got today and I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to keep plotting. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing what it is that God wants me to do. My dad taught me the importance of repentance. I saw my dad in tears asking for forgiveness when he did wrong, when he made mistakes along the way. I know as a father, um, when my kids were little, we had a rule in our house, don't park the bicycle behind the truck. There's a reason why we have that rule. But I came out of the house, jumped in the truck, backed up, ran over a bicycle, mangled the bicycle up, mangled the truck up a little bit. And I went inside, opened up the front door of the house, and April was sitting in the living room on the floor with Timothy, my nephew, and I said to... When I opened the door, I said, whose bicycle is this? And April said, it's my bicycle. And I said, come here. She came over there, and I popped her on the bottom a few times. I said, how many times have I told you not to park your bicycle behind a truck? And she said, I wasn't riding it. Timothy was. Ouch. So then I had to bow the knee to my daughter and apologize to her. I asked the wrong question. I lost my temper or I lost my patience or whatever in that situation. I spanked her bottom for something she didn't do. And then I told her I was sorry. I said, I owe you one. And she used that for the next 10 years. Every time she got into trouble, you know you owe me one. And you know, and you got to get past this. Repentance is important. It's important in a home. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. I know there's a lot of repents in this passage and surrounding passages, but basically he tells us there's two different kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's sorrow of this world. And godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow says, I'm going to change. I'm not going to do what I just did. I'm not going to do those things again. And the sorrow of this world will work death at the end of it. It will destroy. And I'm telling you, your family needs it. Good fathers need it. The ability to say, I'm sorry when I've done wrong. And I'm not talking about just the sorrow of this world. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm talking about true sorrow that changes things. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. I'm talking about real repentance. That's real godly sorrow, not the, oh, I got caught sorrow, because that'll lead to destruction. My dad also taught me, and this is the last point as we close. My dad taught me that he was ready to die. Went over there a few nights before he passed away and went over to his house, and, and he had not eaten in some time. I'm going to kind of tell you some of the surrounding the circumstances. My dad had leukemia, but he didn't die from leukemia, nor was it a deathly type of leukemia. But he went through a series of chemo treatments, and that chemo treatment knocked his body down, and uh, he, he got a lung infection. He essentially had pneumonia, a real bad case of pneumonia. And he kept going to the doctor, and it just didn't seem to get better. And he was going, and, and they were giving him infusions of strong antibiotics, and it just wouldn't get any better. And 
I even talked to my dad one day on the phone. I said, are you telling the doctor everything that's going on? I mean, this doesn't make sense. Are you talking to your doctor? And, of course, in my dad's sort of way, he was going, son, I'm trying to do the best I can, you know, kind of deal. And said, but, Dad, you need to talk. do I need to go with you to the doctor? You know, I mean, you're needing help. And anyway, the next time he went to the doctor, he, he talked to his chemo doctor and said, oh, I've got this bad lung infection. Y'all know the way doctors are, at least in our part of the country. Y'all, maybe y'all don't know. But doctors come in for about 10 seconds, and they go over this, boom, 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 and then they're back out the door. And if you don't talk to them, they're not going to know. And I think that's kind of what had been happening. My, dad, my dad's chemo doctor came in and he said, by the way, I've had this bad lung infection. I've been going through these infusions of antibiotics. I've been sitting in the hospital all day long as they IV drip me on these things, but it's not working. He said, oh, well, your R7302BG whatever must be low, and you need an infusion of this shot for, it to, for the antibiotics to work because the chemo has killed your whatever. Y'all got the idea? I don't know the numbers, but it, that idea... So they scheduled him for that infusion shot so his antibiotics would work to clear his lungs up. Scheduled it for Thursday. And he died on Wednesday. I really think he wasn't talking to his doctor all along. Didn't tell his doctor, hey, this is, this is what's going on. This is what I need, that kind of thing. Or they probably could have helped him. But a few days before he died, I was over there at his house. I said, Dad, I hear you're not eating. He said, I'm not hungry. And I said, Dad, you've got to eat. And he said, I'm not hungry. And I said, Dad, if you don't eat, you'll die. And he said, I think I'll just die. Two days later, 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. He was dead. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm walking through the woods to his house kind of thing because ambulances were already there and all this kind of stuff. And I saw the EMTs working on his dead body. Unbelievable experience. It breaks my heart. But you know, one of the things, I promise you, my dad wasn't just saying, I'm ready to die because I'm not going to eat or whatever. I'm telling you, my dad was ready to die on a spiritual level. He was tired. His body was tired. He was worn down. He was ready to move on to his better home. But I'm telling you, spiritually speaking, he was ready to die. The Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Y'all remember the rest of the context. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what the apostle Paul was telling Timothy? This was kind of toward the end of Paul's life. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course, kept the faith. And there's a crown of righteousness awaiting me. My dad taught me to be ready. I want to tell you tonight, you need to be ready. We're going to sing an invitation song here in a moment. If you're not ready to pass on from this earth, everyone, it's going to happen to every one of us. It wasn't that long ago in our family that I was traveling down the road and there was a the traffic backed up my son-in-law was in the vehicle with me and I said hey that kinda looks like Leland's car and I said you need to look he said well there he is and he said no that's not him and the cars kinda crept up we got closer and closer to the accident I was probably about like 20 cars back from the accident and then we got right on the accident. And he goes, there they are. 
there's, and he named Janessa and, and my nephews and nieces, and they were sitting on the side of the road. And he jumped out, and I pulled up in front of the accident. And, and the night before, Kathy, my sister-in-law, Leland's wife, had said, why don't y'all come over Thursday night? And we said, well, we're busy. we got some things going on. We're not going to be able to, you know, kind of deal. Thursday night, we're going to be tied up. Well, I was tied up Thursday night. You know what I was tied up doing? Standing on the side of the road next to her dead body. She's killed in that accident. And we pulled, pulled in and saw her. She was dead. I mean, it, immediately, I had nieces and nephews that had been injured in the accident. We were trying to get them word or getting them to the hospital and, and try to get word to others to try to help them and get those people to the hospital, all that sort of stuff. But she's dead. That quick. Life happens. This last year, different sister-in-law is Lisa's sister, last September. The phone rang, is my nephew. He said, I've heard that mom and dad's in a bad car wreck, but I don't know anything else. They're just in a bad car wreck. So phones went to flying and trying to warn. We were headed to a family reunion. And sure enough, Lisa's sister was killed in that car wreck. Just that quick. I'm telling you, we need to be ready to die. Are you ready spiritually to die? It's going to happen to all of us. I mean, my kids joke with me because I've preached all, all of their life at them. And they now it's just kind of, they joke about it and they're going, you're going to die, I'm going to die, everybody's going to die. We know, we know, Dad, everybody's going to die. But you know what the truth is? Everybody's going to die. If the Lord doesn't return first, we're going to die. Every one of us. We shouldn't be shocked when it happens. Now, I know there's the trauma part of it's the unexpected and all that kind of stuff, but prepare your mind for it. We're all going to die. I've sat at the bedside of old men that have died. They didn't die in the same traumatic way that a car wreck took them. We were expecting them to die, or maybe they had a disease. Justin Springer, a great friend of mine, died in 2011. blows my mind that it's been 10 years. But he knew he was going to die for nine months. They told him early on, you're going to die. You've got pancreatic cancer. You're going to die. And he lived nine months. And guess what happened? He died. We're going to die. All of us are going to die. And now you can be like my kids go, I know. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Everybody's going to die. The reality is we're all going to die. This right here is the important part of that. Have you fought a good fight? Have you finished your course? Have you kept the faith? Is there a crown of righteousness laid up for you? If that's not the case, you're not ready to die. And I pray the Lord be patient with all of us and uh, give us opportunity for repentance. But I'm thankful for a dad that taught me that this right here was important, to be ready to die. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.